0: Continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. Now hear the words of the one true and living God. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to come at this text this morning kind of like a meal, you get the appetizer first in the main course later, and all I mean by that is that we're we're, going to spend more time looking at verses 13 through 14 than we are at verse 12, but you'll see how that wraps in. Verse 12 is what we all recognize. It's called the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And it seems like a long time ago we were talking, weren't we, about the law and its application. It seems like that was forever ago because it was like 10 to 15 sermons ago, right? But it was only a few minutes ago in Jesus' sermon to his disciples. So this is a continuation of that. And remember, he was explaining to them, wasn't he, that he, he had not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he, he says to his disciples, anyone who relaxes the least of these will be called the least in the kingdom of God. But anyone who does them and teaches them will be called great. Then he goes on to kind of unravel all of the, the mess and stickiness that the Pharisees added to the law so that they can see it clearly for what it is and what it was always intended to be. And we've said this before. But be reminded, sometimes Christians today think the Pharisees were guilty of loving the law too much, that they were just a bunch of law keepers and rule followers. No, they weren't. Jesus never condemns the Pharisees for loving the law too much. He never condemns them for breaking it. He never condemns them for not breaking it, for keeping it. He condemns them for breaking it and for setting man-made laws over and above the law of God. That's why he says over and over again as he's working through parts of the law and its application, you have heard it said, but I say. And what Jesus says never contradicts what is written. So be careful, again, a reminder, be careful about seeing Christians who uh, appear to care a great deal about keeping God's law, having a high view of God's law. Be careful about looking at those people and calling them Pharisees. They're not. Now, if they're adding to God's law or they're relying on their own righteousness or their own law-keeping for their salvation, then yeah, you know, that's what the Pharisees were about. But don't think that desiring to be obedient to the law of God makes you a Pharisee. Don't believe anyone who tells you that. They say, we're not under law, but we're, un- we're under grace. That's true. Paul said that. But what we're supposed to get from that, what Paul is-, is getting at there, is that we are freed from condemnation of the law. Not that we're free to not keep it. Paul says so in Romans 3.31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? He says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And why? Look back at verse 12 of the passage we're in this morning. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is what it's like. This is what, what, what's at the heart of what the Old Testament teaches. That's, and that's what this means. When you see there the, the law and the prophets, uh, that what's being referred to there is the Old Testament teaching. So why do we have all those laws, and why do they matter to us, even as Christians? Love of God, love of neighbor. Love of God, love of neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Whatever you would have your neighbor do to you, do to them. That's what the kingdom of God is like. So this all ties together. Need to be able to see that. And it's positive. That's, that's something we have to look at for a second here. This is positive. It's not just don't do unto others what you don't want done to you. Isn't that the way we look at it sometimes though? Don't we, don't we sometimes leave it there? Don't treat other people the way you wouldn't want to be treated? I confess sometimes I do a poor job of teaching this to my children because the place that comes up most is when one of my sons has been assaulted by one of his brothers you have a house full of six little boys and you get a little Lord of the Flies sometimes. (laughs) And it's right to apply this verse in that moment and to teach them that part of loving their brothers as themselves means not throwing a truck at their head if you wouldn't want them to throw a truck at yours. It's appropriate. If you wouldn't like being pinned under a couch cushion and dogpiled by four other people, don't do that to your brother. But it doesn't stop there, it's more than that. It's limitless in its application, it's positive. Treat others the way you want to be treated. How do you want to be treated? Not How would you like not to be treated? How would you like to be treated? You got it, little list? Maybe a short one, a couple things. Okay, treat people that way. Treat people that way. When's the last time somebody asked you, how are you? And you knew they meant it. Isn't that nice? Isn't that meaningful? Do you treat others that way? Express that that care, that concern. Isn't it nice to know that you have someone thinking about you, someone praying for you? And don't you appreciate it all the more when they they do something as simple as just send a text to let you you know? Send those texts. You like being encouraged to know that you're seen, that you're thought about, that you're appreciated. That's how you treat one another. Right? So it's not just negative, it's positive. It doesn't stop at not doing anything anyone, to anyone that you wouldn't want them to do to you. It's not enough. And you know, the problem with, with hanging out there, sometimes I think we take this verse and we use it as an excuse to stay in our lane. You follow me with this? You know, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in mine. Right? You mind your business, I'll mind my own. You know, I... You take care of you, I'll take care of me. And we want to get along that way. But what that breeds in the church, in the family of God, is division and apathy. So it breeds apathy. It breeds disobedience to obey the one another's in Scripture. And it disobeys the second part of the greatest commandment love your neighbor as yourself. How do I do that? How do I love my neighbor as yourself? you treat people the way you want to be treated. Do unto them as you would have them do unto you. Love them, care for them, be willing to make sacrifices for them. And our problem, as, as we've talked about a lot as we've gone through this, as uh, the Sermon on the Mount calls us to examine ourselves, our problem is our attitude towards ourselves is wrong. And so our attitudes towards one another is wrong. What we have to do, and what the foundation Jesus has been laying in the Sermon on the Mount tells us to do, is that we have to start with God in understanding ourselves. We start with God in understanding ourselves, and when we do, we realize he never deals with us as we deserve. He never deals with us as we deserve. And taking that into mind, we treat others not as they deserve to be treated, or we think they deserve to be treated but as we would want to be treated. That means we're all our brother's keeper, doesn't it? Been talking a little bit about that in our men's Bible study recently. When we see someone isolating themselves, we all have the tendency to do this. You know, when we want to isolate, when we want to check out, when we want to just kind of hide out and and lick our wounds, we, we need to, check on those people we need to welcome them back in we we don't we don't let them stay alone because we know that's not good for them we can see it even when they can't and what we want is what's best for them right it's not enough it's not enough that we don't want any harm to come to them or that we wouldn't do them any harm ourselves it's not enough it's not being your brother's keeper ladies it's not being your sister's keeper Going after them because that's what we would want someone to do for us. To care enough to move in because we want what's best for them. If we see someone walking unwisely or teetering on the edge of backsliding into serious sin, we lovingly challenge them and rebuke them, not because we want to embarrass them or shame them, but because we'd want someone to grab a hold of us if we were the ones stumbling. Miles, if you were standing up on that balcony and about to fall over, would you be mad at me for grabbing you by the shirt and pulling you back in? But that's hard when it has to do with thoughts and feelings and opinions and and lifestyles and, and our little pet sins. It's hard to go and tell somebody, hey, I don't like the way you're going. I want to help you. And we talked about removing the log out of your own eye first before you can take the speck out of your brother's, but assuming that you are coming with a, with a heart that's, that, that's loving and caring and concerned for your brother or sister, and you, you say, you're going the wrong way. It's not good for you. I want you to stop. That's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard. Well, Jesus says the way is hard. Verse 14. He says it's hard. The Christian life isn't easy, but it is simple. That's the main idea of the sermon this morning. And we're going to focus, as I said, the bulk of our attention on these next two verses, 13 and 14. Jesus is talking about the narrow gate, the broad way, the hard road. He's laying out a choice here. He's been teaching his disciples lots of things, hasn't he? He's been teaching them all kinds of stuff, what the kingdom of God is like, the qualities his people possess and display, and how they affect things around them as a result. He's taught them about the law and our relationship to it. He's taught us how to pray, how to forgive, how to fast. He's taught us how to value things in the world, and not making life about storing up treasures for ourselves on earth, but storing up treasures in heaven, making Jesus our treasure. He's taught us we have no reason to be anxious in a world that God made and governs. And he's taught us how to humbly make right judgments and estimations so we can be of use in the kingdom. He's taught us lots of things. Now he's asking you to do more than listen. Now he's asking you to do more than learn. He's asking, what will you do with what you've learned? Listening is not enough. Learning is not enough. There are two paths in which will you choose, the way of the world or the way of the Lord. And we're invited to examine these paths, to gather information about them, to use a right judgment to make some evaluations. Which one's easy? Which one's hard? You know, what's the payout look like if I go this direction versus that one? And how long before I can expect a return? We're choosing the very direction of our lives here. So it's, important, it's an important decision. Which way will you go? Which way will you go? That's what Jesus lays out for them. So as we look at that and examine these roads or ways, I've got three short points for you. Where do these roads lead? What can you bring with you? And who goes with you? Those are questions we have, aren't they? First, where they lead. I think about the book of Jeremiah where God's calling on his people to stop chasing after the world and vain idols. He calls them to follow him and him alone, to serve him alone. And in uh, chapter six, verse 16, he says, stand by the ways and see ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in them and there you will find rest for your souls but they said we will not walk in them there's a way that leads to rest for your soul and you can choose that way but many say we will not walk in it those who find it are few like Jesus says here in Matthew 7:14 Another place in Jeremiah that stood out to me is, is looking through this, uh, 21, verse 8, the Lord says, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. An even clearer delineation here about where these paths lead. You know, it's interesting, God rarely God rarely presents his people with more than two options. There's a path that leads to life, and there's a way that leads to death. So we know where these two roads lead. We know something about the quality of the trip. The right way is hard. The wrong way is easy. Wide and easy. Narrow hard. The way of death feels like life. You catch this? The way of death feels like life. The way of life feels like death. But if you've been paying attention as we've gone through this, especially if you remember as we went through Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, when we went through our series on Ecclesiastes, you know things are not always as they seem, right? There are numerous places in Scripture, particularly Ecclesiastes and in the Psalms, where we all see the wicked prosper. You know, why do the wicked prosper? You know, we, we, we see that the righteous man and the wicked, they both They both meet the same end. You know, they all die in the end, so what does it matter? It seems like there's no advantage in taking narrow, hard roads because we're all only going to die anyway, and we all meet the same end. Will we, though? I mean, isn't isn't this life the shortest part? Don't we forget that? As we think of our lives... We, we only think out to the end of our, our natural life, like there's just, just this little roadblock here. And we don't realize that the, the vast majority of our lives will be lived on the other side of that roadblock. And the scope of eternity isn't this life here, as C.S. Lewis once called it, the cover and the title page to a never-ending story. Isn't there a whole lot that happens after this? Well, we know there is. We know that stuff is good for those who trust God and believe in him, who follow him. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads there. Enter by the narrow gate. Simple, right? Just not easy. If we're convinced that that's the path that we want to go down, that that's the path that we ought to take. Because that's where we want to end up then we have to enter by the narrow gate and here's what we want to know. Point number two, what can I bring with me? What can I bring along? Entering by the narrow gate means leaving things behind. You can't bring all your stuff with you. It's a narrow, you imagine you have to like turn sideways, you know, to fit through it. It's narrow. In fact, you can't even bring you with you. Two men can't fit through the narrow narrow gate at the same time, so you have to leave the old man behind. Only the new man gets to come, only the new self. You remember Paul talking about that? He talks about that a lot in his letters, putting off the old self, putting on the new. He speaks of that all over the place. In one area, Ephesians 4, he says, "...to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires." And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. That's the man or woman who gets to come. You can't fit your new self and your old self through the gate, it's too narrow. There are things about yourself and your former life you have to leave behind. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. That's the guy who gets to come along. That's all you can bring. You can bring all your stuff with you on the Broadway. As much as you want. Broadway welcomes it and doesn't ask you to leave anything behind. No sacrifice whatsoever. It calls for no sacrifice and it invites self-indulgence. You don't have to give up a thing in the Broadway. It's the "you do you" road. You know that saying, "You do you." So that's what you have there—a bunch of "you do you." The Broadway's full of people just being themselves, looking out for number one, and expecting everyone to yield to them. It's full of entitlement and no apologies. Full of people wanting you to sacrifice for them. Without being willing to sacrifice for you, everyone there expects to be treated the way they want to be treated without having the same expected of them. A lot of company on that road, though. You won't be lonely. You won't get lost either. You just follow the crowd, right? Just follow the crowd and you'll end up where they're going. It's easy. But it's something else to consider, too, as we look at these two roads. What company do we have with us on these two roads? Who are our traveling partners? So point number three, who goes with you? You get to choose. You have the the company of the crowd or the company of Christ. You can follow the crowd where they will lead you or you can follow Christ where he leads you. Again, this is not hard stuff. This is simple, right? It's simple. It's not easy. Entering the narrow gate and taking the hard road means you have to be willing to stand alone if you have to. But even in that, knowing you are never truly alone because Christ is there and he is all you need. He's enough for you. And again, we say, well, that sounds hard. Sounds lonely. That sounds difficult. That sounds hard. Well, he warned us. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. The Christian life isn't easy, but it's simple. You see, the broad way promises everything and guarantees nothing, doesn't it? Don't you get that sense about it? Makes lots of promises, guarantees nothing. And the, the narrow way is. Is quite the opposite, it really promises nothing but guarantees everything. I think it, I may be wrong here, you can check me on this, Google this later. I think it was John Flavel that said, God does not promise his people safe seas, but safe ports, you follow that? So while we know we may be in for a bumpy ride, on this hard road, isn't the destination and the company you have with you worth the journey? So the decision should not be hard for us, which way we will take. We know that those who leave everything for the sake of Christ will experience persecutions. We do have that promise, don't we? We know that those who leave everything for the sake of Christ will experience persecutions, but we also know Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. did you he say that too? He did, you can look it up, Mark 10, 29 through 30. And I've got to think part of that has to do with who is with us on this road, don't you? The hard road... The way of the Lord can seem lonely, right? It's not popular, never has been. It's different, it's weird. Make Christianity weird again, remember? It doesn't follow the crowd, it doesn't fit in, it even annoys the crowd because it refuses to fit in. Christianity is lonely at first, but then you realize you're not alone and never have been because Christ is there, but that you're also just exchanging one crowd for another, What did we see about the company you get on the broad and easy road? What did we say? Everyone's just looking out for themselves, right? Expecting everyone else to yield to them. Everyone's entitled, nobody's apologetic. Everyone there expects to be treated the way they want to be treated without having to treat anyone else the same way. So I would just ask you, is this not a better road that we're on, church? Are we not in better company? The narrow road has the poor in spirit. Pulling back from chapter 5 now, right? Because remember, this was only a few minutes ago in Jesus' sermon. It was 15 weeks ago for us. The narrow road has the poor in spirit, the meek, the peacemakers, the merciful and pure in heart. Those hungering and thirsting for righteousness because we know we have none of our own. And we know we need it, and we want it, and we ask for it. We know we're of one Father praying down his kingdom, seeking to have his will done on earth as it is in heaven. We're forgiven and forgiven. We judge ourselves more strictly than we judge others, and we have the Holy Spirit who stands ready to help us when we ask. This hard road that leads to life is not filled with people full of themselves, but people being emptied of self and filled with the mind of Christ. Didn't Christ empty himself for us? He was rich but became poor so that through his poverty we would become rich. These are the people that travel with you on this narrow and hard road. And it's better company. You know, sub-point here. We say we want King's Church to be a place where people can experience God as he reveals himself to us in his word. We want King's Church to be a place where people can find true, genuine Christian community, find community, and uh, a place where God's people can live on purpose, recognizing that we were saved to walk in the good works prepared for us. So that find community bit, just a reminder, don't cut yourself off from the body, ever. Ever. Don't cut yourself off from the body. You need traveling partners on this hard road. God knows it, and he gives it to you. And if the body's small, invite more people to come be a part of it. (laughs) You know? Who are are you waiting on to grow King's Church? How do, you think, how, do you think, how do you think God's going to do that? Our answer would be God. God grows his church. Absolutely, amen. But he does it through working through all of us, right? Working in us and through us. You know, the church is not a corporation with a board of directors and a marketing team trying to up their share of the market. This is a family. This is a family of God that we want people to come and be a part of. Jesus says, few are those who find it in these verses, and few find it because few seek it, but sometimes few don't know to seek it because nobody told them where they could find it. But don't be stingy. Don't be stingy. If you treat others the way you would want to be treated, if you know where the good way is, show someone. If you know where the thirsty can find living water, tell someone. We can use good company on the hard road, and oftentimes that's what makes the journey itself enjoyable, because the journey's hard. You know, it's not just the destination, though. It's the company along the way. Who goes with us matters. The narrow road's hard. Jesus is honest with us, right? He doesn't make a great pitch. He he doesn't do a great job of selling us on the road that leads to life. He sells us on the destination. It'll be worth it, but it won't be easy. You know, imagine I told you I'm going to give you a a once-in-a-lifetime dream vacation. A luxurious cabana on a private island with powdery sand and crystal-clear water for your front yard, surrounded by mountains on three sides, gorgeous views. It's only ever the perfect temperature all the time. And all the luxuries and comforts that you can imagine are waiting for you when you get there. The softest, most amazing bed you've ever slept on. Towels and robes, so soft you don't even know what they're made out of. What is this stuff, you know? Every comfort, every detail, dream vacation, and it's all free. All you have to do is get there. But you can't just book a plane ticket. It's too remote. You know, this isn't Vegas after all, this is paradise. So you have to travel through a jungle to get there where you'll be met with difficult terrain and probably like prehistoric-sized mosquitoes and lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And by the time you break through the trees, you get to a beach and you realize the island's way over there and it's too far to swim. You either risk drowning to get there or you figure out how to make a raft and you don't know how to make one. At this point, you start thinking, maybe this destination isn't worth the trip. Don't you? Can't be that good, right? You see, Jesus never lets his people believe following him to a place that he says he's prepared for us is easy. Not once, not ever. And you'll not make it on your own. He knows that. That's by design. You won't make it on your own. So look around at who's with you on the journey. That's what I want you to think about for just a minute this morning. Not just this morning, this afternoon. Think about it. Take a look around. Look in the pews. Who's with you on this road? These are your people. These are the traveling partners God and his providence has put into your life to walk with you. You cannot like them all you want to. But that's your problem, not God's. This is who he's given you. This is our family. These are your traveling partners. Know that you are in good company. We're in good company. King's Church, we're in good company. Praise God. So the Christian life isn't easy, but it's worth it, and it's simple. So we said in the beginning. So choose. We're pressed for a decision here. Jesus says, class dismissed, essentially. The lesson's over now. What will you do with what you have learned? He's wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. What will you do with what you've learned? The time for learning's over. Now's the time for doing. Because the gospel refuses, y'all, to be something merely learned about or understood or studied, or interested in. It's not just a hobby or a project. It demands your all. Make no mistake about it. Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow him, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. If you want to come, come and die. Or don't come. It's up to you. Jesus essentially says, I gave you my life, now you give me yours. As a living sacrifice. Here's how we can be encouraged Christ has traveled this road ahead of you and countless others. Countless others. Remember, as we've been going through Genesis, the promise that Abraham receives that his descendants will be more numerous than the stars of the sky, the sands on the seashores? Can you say that? This path that you're on, though difficult, is well worn. It's been traveled by your Lord and King, and many others have gone down it. The paths of righteousness that Christ leads you in for his namesake lead to life. That's where they lead. That's what we need to be focused on. We need to understand and be okay with the fact that that calls us to leave some things behind, that we got to pack light, that the old man has to stay behind. But we can also know for that reason... That this old man's not invited, we can know that anyone who travels with us is good company to keep. You see that? Few are those who find it because few seek it. Few seek to take up their cross daily and deny themselves to follow Christ. But those are the kind of people all of us want to be around, isn't it? Aren't those the kind of people we like to be around? Those are the kind of people who will stick their necks out for you and carry you when your strength fails because they know they'd want you to do the same for them if they needed it. The question is, will you? Jesus pushes for a decision here. Which way will you go? Which road are you going to take? What kind of company do you want to keep? And where do you want to ultimately end up? And he presents this to his disciples. He presents this to you. Which way will you go? What kind of company you want to keep? Where do you want to end up? Where are you going and who will you bring with you? Let's pray. Lord our God. We thank you for the truth of your word and pray that you would allow it to penetrate deep into our souls this morning that we might become more like Jesus. Help us, Lord, to make right assessments of the way we walk. Help us to walk as wise, not as unwise. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we were called. Help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to genuinely love our neighbors as ourselves, treating them as we want to be treated. Lord, we ask that you do this in our lives for your glory and for the good of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.